we're back. Um, it's been a while. I ain't been on here. I'm busy. Life's busy. Take it how it is. Yeah. Anyway, and I have here. Introduce yourself. My name is Musinia Salado Fert. I'm a stand-up comedian, father of two children, a lover, and a friend. Hello, everyone. There's a lot of incest in my family. I said I like to say this on every podcast I do. My grandparents were first cousins. You think I'm joking? Yes. No, no, no. My grandparents were first cousins. Shut the fuck up. Genuinely, my grandparents were, were first cousins. My dad's parents were first cousins. Really? Yeah, which is why I'm probably a little bit strange. Definitely explained for a lot. Yeah. Anyway, um, you were on a podcast before I did the whole video shit. And um, we had a way more serious conversation than this. I Honestly, I was not expecting any of that for a start. Not to none of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, yeah, we get them in. So hopefully people are watching and like, what the fuck was all that? Anyway. Um, and that was about what you did a PhD in, right? Perhaps. Yes. And you are now a graduate teacher? I teach. You I teach, teach graduates? I teach. I teach so what's your job? Students. What's your job role? Yeah, graduate teacher is the official title. I'll teach university students. Um, they don't listen. I don't care. And my, that's a good balance. My next question, dear, that is from all of that. I've asked you this every time I see you. What did you do your PhD in? My PhD is on extremism, disinformation, why it spreads, how what you can do about it, who to blame, who not to blame, all that good stuff. Do you say widespread or why it spreads? Why it spreads. Why? Yeah. It. Oh, why it spreads. It spreads. Yeah. Oh. Why it spreads. I thought you said why it does spreads. disinformation spread its legs? Okay. Thank you. To the far right. Thank you. That's a good title. The, what, for this? For my, no, for my PhD. Oh, for your PhD, okay. Yeah. So I thought you meant for this. I was like, don't think I'm going to name it this. Anyway, listen. Um, how did that PhD go? Tell me more, more about that, because obviously I am don't. I would never think of doing a PhD. Although as much as it would impress my family, more so my dad, I'm not going to think about it. Um. So the PhD is on disinformation, mostly about disinformation about... Islam-related issues, so Islamophobia, radical Islamist disinformation, and ultimately developing interventions to protect people against it. Yeah. So the idea being we work on something called inoculation theory. The idea is if you teach people how to detect misinformation, they're less likely to fall for it in the future. So you get in there before the damage is done, kind of like a vaccine, okay. rather than having to debunk everything, because there's so much shit out there that you need to debunk. Can't debunk everything. Trying to debunk stuff on the internet, like refuting bullshit, is like whack-a-mole. Like you, you debunk one thing, but then they jump out with another thing, right? It's not practical. So the idea of our work is getting there before this damage is done and give people the skills necessary to identify bullshit. Okay, how the fuck does it? How the fuck do you do that? So what you do is you work out what are the common markers of misinformation? What makes it persuasive? So do they use hasty generalizations? Do they do you use cherry pick data? Do they use polarized speech? You work that all out and you teach people how to spot that on social media or whatever. Mm. And the idea being, if you teach them how to spot it, they're more likely to catch it in the future and less likely to fall for it. Okay. And we call it inoculation period because it works like a vaccination. You're giving people, in a vaccination, you give people uh, the antibodies 
his sir just to is that what inoculation means yes yeah yeah, yeah. carry on oh we should have started away <laughs> yeah we <laughs> started there yeah, yeah. No, carry on hopefully the listeners know um how educated are the listeners of this podcast i don't know no fairly fairly yeah if they're anything like ali probably not very educated yes. um it's absolutely no need for that ali is by the way your boy agency who is our camera people and I say people, he's one person, he's a man. And um, he's a piece of go shit. give him a follow. And anyway. I follow him, he's a piece of shit. In fact, I mean, I'll follow him. Um, <laughs> his face, he's just not <laughs> Carry on. So, yeah, that's what it basically is. Um, so, it's like a, a mental antibody that we give people mm. to resist bullshit on the internet. And that's the, that's the essence of what we do. Yeah, but how do you do that? So you can do videos. Mm -hmm. Some people turn it into fun little games. You can literally just do it as like a small pop-up. So you go to retweet some bullshit and then Twitter gives you like a little pop-up saying, hey, before you do that, just so you know, this is prone to disinformation because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different ways you can do that. Most of our research has been done like doing very short videos that you can integrate into YouTube as like ad space. Okay where you can just basically teach people about disinformation. You can work it into the school system so kids are learning about it in school, which is done in places like Finland and has had a lot of positive effects on people's quote-unquote critical media literacy. On their what? Critical media literacy. Okay. Do you know what that means? No. So that basically means people's ability to absorb information accurately on the internet. Thank you. Yes. That was God bless you. I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting You're getting there. there. You know what? Funny enough, I actually do have a degree, but I just, you know. What was your degree in? Why would you do that? It was in, uh, I know you're going to make a joke about this. Yes, I was a brown person then doing a business degree. Yes, I did fall under the. To be honest, you're technically using, you're, you, you're in business. Yes. So you're doing your degree, yeah. kind of. Yes, yes. I, well, it was more yeah. marketing. I wanted to get into marketing. You just wanted to go to uni? No, no. I wanted to get into marketing. Really? Yes. But I didn't do it because I had one interview and I didn't get the job. And I was like, you know what? Fuck since. Yeah, it was literally after. Lorries. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't see you working in marketing, if I'm being honest. Really? Yeah. Was that upset you? No. No, I don't see you in marketing. I don't care. You would, you look like someone who would do really well with like a property development business. I could see you doing well at that. I think you'd make a lot of good decisions in building houses. I have no idea how to respond to this. It's a good thing. You should start one. I'll give it a go. Yes. Do what every other person does. Yeah. I bet you know lots of like seek builders, some uncles you can do, you can work well, some cheap labor. You know what? You do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. You've got, you do. You're not 100% yeah. you do. I do. Uh, do you know what? Fair enough. I trust those seek uncles, by the way. You know, when you get like a handyman come to your house, I trust those guys. There's something about them that I think it might be the beard that makes me feel like yeah. they're reliable. Am I, am I wrong to trust them? No, you're not. You're good. They're good. We're good people. We are yeah. good people. I, I trust them. So, obviously, I don't know if I have, if you have actually answered this, but what is your overall finding from everything apart from, obviously you said the whole inoculation and all that. All right. I'll give it to you in the most like 
one line or two line away. The reason why I'm asking yeah. this now is because we've already had this conversation of what you did before. I want to talk about more what you do on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about after, but carry on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give it in like the briefest possible way. Is disinformation really that bad? Yes, it can kill people. Okay. That we know now. Yeah. Like disinformation can lead to death. Mm-hmm. Right? Can we do something about it? Yes, we can. We could teach people how to identify it, and that increases their resistance to bullshit. Yeah. We know that. That's also good. Does it spread like wildfire through social media? Damn right it does. Yeah. And how easy is that to tackle? That's the hardest bit. Stopping the spread. Yeah. Because it involves so many different people working together. The social media companies, governments, individuals. There's a lot of different levels that you need to get right to stop the spread. Yeah. Those are the... That's the... That's the quickest way I can give you a breakdown of my four years. Okay. It's bad. You can do something about it, but the thing spreads like nits. Worse than nits. But you got just yeah. look out for it, I guess. How do you look out for it? Spot it. See it. Say it's all it. No. What you have to do is you have to train yourself to identify the bullshit. Yeah. Right. Just be a skeptical thinker. Right. Like look at check sources. Try and cross-verify things with established sources, i.e. respectable news sources, but try and find it in multiple different places um, before you share something, right? And we will sometimes share stuff without reading the actual news article, right? You just see it and you're like, yeah, fuck it. Like you're on Twitter, I'm guessing, and you probably follow football stuff on Twitter, right? I'm sure sometimes you passionately share people <clears throat> shit and you didn't actually read the article, right? No, I can't lie. If I'm, especially if it's something to do with football. You actually click on the article and read it. Well, a lot of people don't do that, unfortunately. They just share things because the headline is, you know, the headline caches them for whatever reason. Yeah. Just stop and think about it for a second. Makes a big difference. Getting people to stop and thinking about what they're sharing does decrease the sharing of a false information, mm. which is a good thing. So just thinking about what you're doing a little bit more um, helps. Another thing I would say is check your biases. Right. So like if you find yourself passionately agreeing with something, think to yourself, why am I agreeing with this? Am I only agreeing with it because this aligned with my political views or my personal views? Or is this actually accurate? Yeah. Right. And so check your own because we all have them. Check your own biases when you're reading things and just be honest with yourself if you can. And I expect your mom. Um definitely the last one. Yeah. Right. So we've done that and if anyone wants to listen to what you actually did in more depth yeah. go listen to the old podcast it's on like wait audio platform wait. yes audio audio yes audio only so it's somewhere there so you can't see my Spotify no thank god anyway um, <clears throat> moving on to what you do on this I want to say on the side it's on the side right but it's more you do it quite a lot it's my main thing now your main thing yeah, yeah which is comedy comedy baby how did you get into it and what who pushed you and yeah just how ali was there when you ali he doesn't know he's nodding yes ali's nodding so basically what happened i really wanted to do stand up i was really into it um loved this as i was a kid loved eddie murphy delirious raw all those classic specials watch comedy on comedy central bbc I'm pretty sure every comedian's there so BB, yeah i mean a big inspiration for a lot of people Watch comedy on the BBC growing up, Comedy Central, Eddie Murphy a lot, Dave Chappelle a lot, Kevin Hart a lot. 
Michael McIntyre, Ross Hart, you name all those people I loved when I was a kid, right? Um, always loved it, always been obsessed with it. Would go to live comedy shows and then some, for whatever reason, I just decided I wanted to give it a try. Rocked up with bare people, including Ali, to a comedy club called Lions Den Comedy Club. Yeah. And did an open spot. How I found out, just wrote comedy in London and that was the first thing that came up so I went and signed up. Yeah. I was terrible, like shite, innit, Ali? Like terrible, he's nodding his head again. Um, he won't speak, don't ask him anything. He just doesn't like to have any sort of involvement. It's okay, but just know everyone, he nodded his head. I was terrible, but here's the thing. Here's why ego in life is important, right? Right. This is why ego, not too, too much ego is bad, but a little bit of ego can keep you on the right track for long enough, right? My ego was big enough where I was like, I'm sh like, I'm good for how long I've been going, even though I was shit. Right. But my brain said to me, yeah, but you're good for your first time. Right. So I'd come up with these defense mechanisms, but I thought why I was shit, but why I was still better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. Which isn't necessarily rational, but my brain, my egotistical brain kept me on the right path, which is why I stuck with it. And I just kept doing it until I progressively became less shit. I'm okay. not shit anymore. Thank God. But I was shit for ages. Yeah. I'm really shit, bruv. <laughs> Okay, really. How many times? Let's. Okay, how can I put this? How many times did you get booed or like? Take I was stage before. You were there when I got booed off once, weren't you? Oh, you oh, oh and death. You. Oh. But to listen, in all, in, in all fairness, that was the only time I've ever been booed off. That well, I don't think that was entirely your fault. It was rough, but still was funny. It was funny yeah. because <laughs> that was the. Car, is it card show or gong show? Gong show. Gong gong show. show. Yeah, Should I give people context as to what that is? Yeah. So a gong show, for people who don't know, is basically comedians come up and they're trying to win a spot at the pro nights at the comedy club. So they come on stage and they have to last for five minutes without three people in the audience putting their cards up. Mm. If three cards go up, i.e. your shit, you get gonged off. You hear the sound of a gong and you're off. Mm -hmm. If you beat it, you go to the final and you do a choke off and then the audience picks the winner by way of round of applause, right? I got gonged off the first time I did it. I ended up winning it the next time, though, so. Yeah. Good for me. Always come back, kids, never give up. Um, I got gonged off, and then a miracle woman afterwards was telling me how shit I was, and then I filled her and put it on Instagram. It's quite funny. Did she? Yeah. Okay. It's on my Instagram. But you were there that night for that infamous booing off. I was. At one in the morning in Covent Garden. It was, to be fair, that was, I think, because you, if I remember, you had someone before you who was really bad. And the crowd had just, they were just like, not there. They also, they does it to be really harsh right before I came on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were like, you're being too nice. And then you jumped on and then, you know. I mean, it was funny because it was you. And yeah. they know you, so it's all right. But otherwise, fucking hell, that was bad. I remember after that, sh I think that getting booed off there was the t one of the turning points in my quote-unquote career. Yeah. Because after that, I went on a writing jihad. Where I was just like, I'm going to fucking review everything, review my set. And then I came back and I won it. So that was the kick up the backside I needed. Yeah. And since then, I basically won every gong show in London. Have you? Yeah, yeah. I'm mad. Yeah, I've won four out of five gong shows. That the big four out. No, it's not the big five. Okay, so that's not every gong show. Well, four out of five is pretty good. And the fifth one. But it was not every gong show. Yes. You said every. I, I, I accept I was wrong and I apologize Thank you. for misleading the public. Carry on. Um, four out of five. 
And the only reason I haven't won the fifth one is because I haven't entered, you pricks. You're lucky I don't enter. Yeah. I'm joking. No, I don't do gong shows anymore. I don't think, I don't need to do gong shows anymore. I'm past that phase of my career. Well, you do gong shows to get in the comedy clubs, but I've done all the comedy clubs now. Yeah. I do pro spots at most of the comedy clubs. So I don't have to do them anymore. But they're a good learning experience because the worst thing you can hear as a comedian, right? When, this is always death. When someone, when you start comedy and someone says, oh, come do my show. It's a really supportive room. You don't want a supportive room. You want an honest room with an actual audience. Yeah. My jokes weren't up to scratch. I learned that my, some of them weren't up to scratch. I went, I reviewed, I made them better. And then that gave me the momentum to push on. That's what you need. You need honesty. Yeah. And that was that. Damn. So, oh, the other thing I was going to ask you, this really random came to my head. What have happened to One Minute Smoke? Because I've come to a few of those shows. and One Minute Smoke. Yes. So let me explain what this is. Yeah. Anyone that doesn't know this, One Minute Smoke is a show that he used to host. Host? Host, yes. Yes, host. Uh, be a judge in and everything else. Yeah. Anyway, um, I can't remember. That's all I was talking to him anymore. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, so One Minute Smoke was a show, basically like a gong show, right? Where they had a minute each and then it was yeah. decided by the crowd who went through whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, there was a final. And then the final, the winner got a minute, uh, a spot on, what was it? Wall of Future Show. A Future Show in the yeah. then, uh, Wall of Comedy, right? No, that was the initial idea, but then we moved. You got a paid show at the at the next gig. A what? So if you won, yeah, your prize was you do five minutes at the next show and we pay you 50 quid. That was the prize. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So if you remember at the shows, there'd be someone at the start doing five minutes to open the show. That person was a previous winner always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the prize. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was fun when it lasted. Unfortunately, it was one, a logistical nightmare to do. We knew we needed a new venue. And also I'm in a position now where financially it isn't feasible for me to do on the weekends because I can make more money doing something, doing upper comedy shows. So if we were to bring it back, we need to bring it back in a way that's one easier to do and easier to release because we never released an episode for many different logistical reasons and complications. So we're gonna if we ever do bring it back, in it we just need to do it better, yeah, and make it easier to do. It was such hard work to do to do one episode. Mm. I don't get stressed before gigs, like. Even my mom says, like, you don't, you never got stressed before gigs apart from one minute smoke. One minute smoke, I'd be so stressed before shows, man. Really so stressed. Yeah, so stressed because so much, there's so much going on. Yeah. With the lights, the cameras, the cues. And then sometimes I'd fuck it up to the annoyance of the others. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just got, one time I went on stage without telling the team and the lights weren't set up yet. I just decided to go on stage. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And they hadn't even plate type rolling the cameras yet but yeah like little shit like that yeah right it's a it was a lot of work and i'd like to think one day we'll bring it back and decide we'll do it correctly yeah there was a lot of things that we did right about it and the shows were fun yeah i had fun well, to a few of them i quite liked them um but if and when we do bring it back we'll do it properly mm. i think what we need to do is i think we need the support of a comedy club mm. who let us do it there because they have all the facilities in place to make filming and all that stuff easier. Yeah. And they can also help with managing the audience, getting them in and stuff. Yeah. Also, one thing I really, when I do my own shows, right, and 
I mean this with as much love as possible. When I do my own shows, I hate talking to the audience before the show. I don't want to do that. What do you mean talking to the audience? So when I'm doing my own show, unless there's a backstage, I can't avoid talking to the audience. Oh, right. Okay. And I don't like doing that. Yeah. Because the small talk is always the same. It's about the show and stuff. And I just want to focus on getting the production side of things right. Mm. And my actual comedy stuff. <laughs> so yeah, there was always that bit that I kind of find a little bit tedious as well. Having to talk to people before the show. Yeah. And also I feel like when you get, to, when you talk to the audience before the show, it kind of ruins the mystique of your openings set. Right. You know, come on and host. Yeah. Part of the mystique of comedy is you haven't seen the comedian right up until they come on stage, right? Mm. But if you've just been chatting to them and then suddenly you've gone into host mode, I feel like it kind of kills the mystique a little bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I would find very annoying. So basically, one minute spoke, we'll come back if we can get things right and do things better. Yeah. But I did it gone. Oh, hey, I, was, cool. I enjoyed coming to this. Yeah. It was good fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Long to get to because it was in fucking short. Well, that was another problem. That was one not in short. Shoreditch was all right for people. It's when we moved to Lewisham where it became a real trek for people. Yeah. Well, Shoreditch was right by Liverpool Street Station, which was for most people a good central location. But when we moved to Lewisham is when one, our ticket numbers went down because who the fuck wants to come all the way to Lewisham all the time? Yeah. Right? Compared to Shoreditch. Yeah. So there's a lot of things we need to get right if we're mm. going to bring it back. Fair enough. Was a good show. It was. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't ask as well. You, so you are, your, Cypria, right? I am. Yeah. So you do quite a lot of Asian shows. This is see because I I that's, I did say to you yeah I did say this to you inside that we'll talk about this that how the fuck do you get into those because. Bro. Uh, honestly, I was having the discussion with a, a Sikh comedian, funny enough, my Sikh friend who has a podcast. Um, what? That's not me. That's not you. This is my second Sikh podcast. I've done this Again, firstly, 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 let's stop. This isn't a, this isn't a Sikh podcast because it's not. It's not around. Uh, it's a Sikh host. Yeah, I get what you mean, but let's stop. Wait, wait, wait. We're not talking about Sikhism. Shut the fuck up, please don't. Carry on, carry on. Well, carry on. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and carry on. Carry on. <laughs> but yeah. Um, the reason I get on them is because it's not necessarily about where you're from. It's about the relatability of your content. So okay. my background, people from South Asian backgrounds can, we can relate to the same things. A really crude example is having crazy parents who hit you and stuff like that. You know, like we can all relate to that stuff. Yeah. And when I make those jokes, people from those backgrounds can relate to it. So it's less about geographically where I'm from. Like, for example, there's like, I know black comedians who do South Asian shows who absolutely smash it. Yeah. Because they can, we can, you can connect mm. on a culture. There's cultural similarities where you can connect. Yeah. And that's what it's mostly about. Oh. And also being Cypriot is kind of ambiguous. So like, I've done shows called Arabs First Asians. Yeah. Right? And depending on the night on the tour, I've been on Team Arab and I've been on Team Asian. Yeah. Because it's kind of like Cypriot is kind of like they... My my complexion makes me a little bit more. You're none of us. I am technically Cyprus is an Asian country. Is it? Yeah, it's in Asia. I didn't know that. Yeah, technically I'm Asian. Yeah. Now myself Asian, most certainly not. Definitely not Arab. Yeah. But because of my complexion, I could pass for Arab, and in some people's eyes, I could pass for a light skinned Indian guy or something, you know, or an Afghan guy. De whatever. Definitely not Indian. Definitely. What do you reckon I could pass for? 
Italian. Really? Yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah. Like I don't know. Like I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see you as like. I've had. I've had people assume I'm Indian before. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, genuinely. I've had Bengali. I've had everything, bro. I've had Afghan. Afghan a lot, I get. Really? Yeah, I get Afghan a lot. I see Afghan. I can see. Yeah. I can see that. Um, what else have I had? I've had Pakistani. I don't think I've ever had Pakistani. Okay. I've had Sri Lankan, which I think is about don't look Sri Lankan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had all over the gaff. Yeah. L Lebanese, I've had Lebanese a lot. Lebanese, I can understand why people think I'm Lebanese. Yeah, Similar skin complexion, generally. Yeah. But yeah, so those, those are the two reasons why you can see me on those shows is because one, my content is relatable culturally, yeah. which is the most important thing that they're looking for. And two, they can throw me on unflexible, innit? Yes, you can go on, you yeah. go on any team. Yeah, I can go on either team and everyone's happy. So how, okay, how do you get about getting onto the show? Do they see, do they see your content first or do you reach out to them? How does it, how does it work? So, so, so shows you're referring to that you see me mostly on, they're, they're part of a company called Love Entertainment who do shows all over the country, right? Mm -hmm. And they probably, they do, they do do the biggest south asian and muslim shows yeah in the uk by far like second isn't even close in terms of their scale and their operation they're doing like 300 shows a year really yeah they're huge um 300 is probably an exaggeration somewhere probably somewhere between 200 to 300 i reckon it's yeah. the reason anyways so how you get on their radar is one they approach you two you send in a clip and for whatever reason they watch it which they don't normally that's what happened to me. I just sent in a clip on a whim and one of his comics, I think it was actually Tez Ilyas who pulled out, who was in, who was in Man Like Mo Beam. Hmm. I think he might have pulled out. So he was just looking for his Instagram. I sent in the clip and for whatever reason, he decided, fuck it, I'm just going to give this kid a try. I'm going to watch it. He liked it and he was like, he called me, he was, how long have you been going? I said about a year and a half, two years. And he goes, oh, that's a bit... That's not very long, but let's give you a try anyway. Yeah. So he broke a lot of rules to get me on. He broke a lot of it. The, the owner broke a lot of his own rules to get me on. Mm. But he did. He gave me a shot and then it went well. It was actually at the Hayes Theatre in... Beck Theatre in Hayes, which is like 500 seats. Big room. And it went well. Oh, that was your first one. I remember you said that was... Yeah, that was my first theatre show. Um, and it worked well. And then he just carried on booking me. So yeah, it's, how you get on those shows you get an opportunity and then you smash your opportunity in any walk of life it's like that it, yeah, eventually yeah. someone gives you an opportunity you've been waiting for and then it's your responsibility to take it yeah yeah so I had a good set and they carried on booking me and once you get once you become a regular on a show a big show like that the other promoters see you and they they see okay this guy's clearly capable yeah so we want him on our show and then you develop a reputation and then you go on tours and then you find you do so many different shows where you you develop start developing your own audience because people see you at a show and they follow you on Instagram and then they come to your other shows. Like for the first time, I felt like I sold tickets in Manchester, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the first time, I felt like I sold tickets in Manchester, right? So like I've done quite a few shows in Manchester now, and this most recent one on the weekend, mm. I ended up selling. 20 tickets for the show um, off the back of high social media. Okay. Right. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but 
I'm not from Manchester. Yeah, I was going to say, when you, you put your perspective... When you... But I'm not, that's the perspective that people... That, why I'm proud of that number. Like, I haven't been doing comedy for long. And I'm not from Manchester. I don't know... I know, like, two people who live in Manchester and neither of those people came to the show. These are all just comedy fans who bought tickets to come see me. Yeah. So I'm proud of that, right? So that's, in my mind, the progress I'm looking for. And that's the trajectory you need to go on over the years so eventually you can do a national tour. Yeah. Develop a reputation in different cities where people come out for you. Yeah. So I just need to carry on doing that, doing as many cities or do as many shows all around the country. Yeah. So I can eventually do my own national tour. Sounds like a plan. Sure. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like you. Anyway, I'm going to yeah. carry on from there. Um, I was going to say, one thing I was going to ask, because obviously, like you said, you do comedy. Um, is it me... Or we had this. I said I was going to ask this because we had the conversation before. Is is comedy getting a bit too soft? When I say comedy, I mean okay. Let's say media because yeah. Okay, let's put it out there. The world because everyone now is so touchy feely about the smallest shit. It's yeah. it's annoying. Don't get me wrong. I get annoyed about a few, few yeah a few certain things as well, um, but. It does seem like to me that right now, the way we're heading in society, the world, whatever else, you're not going to be able to say too much in your comedy things, aren't Like, for example, and I'm not having a go at anyone here. Yeah. Right. But it's like you, you can't talk about certain things anymore unless you're that sort of race, if that makes sense. So if I'm brown, I can't talk about things that relate to or but I'm more specific to, I don't know, someone who's white, black or something else. See what I mean? Well, before it was a bit different. I would disagree with that because I see it, I see it done on a weekly basis. The thing is you just... But it's not televised. No, right. Okay, so that's what it is. In your stand-up, you can say what you want. Yeah. And if it's funny, people will laugh. Yeah. Right? What the television want is what the issue I think you're alluding to is that, right? what's considered allowed on the television on the streaming platforms that's where the real issue is at right because when was the where was when was the last good comedy tv series that you really fell in love with you know like they're becoming fewer and far between the last show i genuinely watched like and loved 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 a lot two and a half men it was years ago right that's my point um that's the issue and I think what these TV companies are doing, the people who work in these TV companies, and by the way, most of these people who make these decisions, they have generally good intentions. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. They don't want to. They don't want to be what they feel like is pushing hate speech and all that stuff. They're very cautious about the message they're sending out there. But what I find is controversial comedy, if done correctly, can bring people together. Yeah. Like the best shows that the best shows I've been at is when it's been a comedian talking to an audience who are predominantly from a different race and they're finding the humor in the cultural differences. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's there's a beauty to that that I think television comedy in particular have lost. Yeah. Which is a shame. However, in your actual stand up, you can say what you want. And if it's comedy in the, on stage, on stage, comedy is a meritocracy, mm -hmm. right? If it's funny, people will laugh. 
comedy in the TV industry, not necessarily a meritocracy. Yeah. It's not necessarily you see the funniest comedians on the television. That's not necessarily what they're looking for. Yeah. What they're what now what you're hearing a lot in television and stuff is we wanna we wanna hear people from diff different backgrounds and different perspectives and all that stuff, which is fine, which is good. It's gonna be funny as well. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And that's kind of been lost a little bit. But I feel like the problem with that is a lot of people don't want to laugh at anything anymore because they're scared to laugh at something. Do you get what I mean? No, and comedy has become a little also. But on the other flip side of that, I feel like a lot of comedians these days just give TED Talks. And it's not very funny. What do you mean by that? So like comedians, will, some comedians will just like spend time trying to be political. Even the people who fight about, fight against quote unquote woke culture. Yeah. Right? Like sometimes you listen to their stand-up and it's like, where's the jokes? This has just been a lecture about how much you hate woke, woke culture for the last 20 minutes, but where are the jokes? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? A lot of people are giving TED Talks these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas comedy was never meant to be about giving a TED Talk. It was meant to be about fundamentally being funny. Yeah. And being captivating. Yeah. So there's there's people on both ends of the argument making mistakes. Mm. There's On one side, the people also, this is this has to be set for balance, Right. The people who call people snowflakes and sensitive are just as sensitive as the snowflakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they claim to be calling out, right? Yeah. Because as soon as they see a little bit of comedy or a little bit of content, but they don't necessarily agree with it, it's not necessarily targeted at them. All they can do is insult it and say how it's ridiculous and it shouldn't be made. Or you're doing the same thing you accuse those people of. You're yeah. trying to get rid of the things you don't like. Yeah. For example, this is Hannah Gatsby, who's a very woke Australian comedian, and Dave Chappelle can coexist. It should be allowed to be a Hannah Gatsby fan and a Dave Chappelle fan. Like, you can be both. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. But comedy, unfortunately, like everything else, especially in the United States, has almost become like this political war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, because, like I said, I don't know. For me now, like... I think that's what is quite jarring this shit because you won't see good comedy or real funny comedy mm -hmm. unless you go to a show. Not everyone can go to a show. Not that they're always expensive, whatever else, or, or whether it's the price and whatever it is. Because I reckon you could go to some of these gong shows. But is it right gong shows they let people in sometimes? Just what what comedy shows where they just let sort of is there is there a type of comedy show where they let people in? Obviously, you have to have a ticket, whatever, but. For free? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. You know, to go to these kind of places where, all right, they're not well-known comedians, whatever, but still, it's something funny, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's where you might see, because you see people coming up. For example, like One Minute Smoke, obviously it wasn't free. Um, no. Can I hype it up? You made me pay for that, by the way, so fuck all of you. Anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, And it, you had some people on there, like I remember you had uh, one South Asian brother who was just, he was funny, like he had an accent as well. He had a thick Indian accent. I can't remember if you remember. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, he won. I think he did win. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. It was good. Like, And he was, you know, talking about the cultural shit that other people wouldn't. And you wouldn't hear that outside. And yeah. I I don't know. I just, um, I, maybe I'm about to go on a rant myself. My own TED talk. I just think people are too soft nowadays. People need to just shut the fuck up and learn to laugh again. Because, like, look, from when we were growing up, 
obviously, I'm not saying go out there and start being racist just to get a guy and laughs, right? But have a laugh at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like, for example, like we were talking about this before, what was the last show made here that was, um, you know, funny and really pushed it a bit? Which, like, come fly with me or Little Britain, all that kind of shit. In betweeners and shit. But if you see that now, they've all been taken down off Netflix. It was all on like Netflix and BBC. They've all been taken down now. Which I don't think helps anyone. It's a pointless exercise taking those, yeah. taking them now. Pointless exercise taking them now. I don't, I don't see what that did. It doesn't protect anyone. It doesn't save anyone. Yeah. Does this not, in, in any way, does this ever relate into what you've learned? What do you mean? So this About censorship? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massively. So, I don't necessarily believe we need to censor. The whole point about, so you know, we talked about how my work focuses on inoculation. Yeah. My idea is you don't necessarily have to censor content unless it's like saying, hey guys, we're going to beat up Steve <laughs> down the road at six o'clock, everyone. <laughs> everyone bring your best bat. <laughs> right? That you should probably take that. Yeah. Right? If you give people the skills necessary to reason critically and to think correctly, I don't think you need to censor content. Yeah, because then people will be equipped to make up their own minds accurately. Yeah, 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 right, and to identify bollocks. So yeah, I think less censorship, more critical reasoning. Yeah, but then how do you get that? How can you do that? It's gonna take a very long time, very long time. It has to be built into the education system. So kids, are, it's got to be drilled into kids from like five years old. Okay. So this generation's fucked. Yeah, there's too many dummies out there. Our parents' generation, they're long gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're believing the craziness. Yeah. Like, how many WhatsApps have you been crazy? WhatsApp messages you get forwarded during COVID or like hear about? Like, look, yeah, like. It's like that um, going down the motorway, seeing the tanks and all that on the road and all that nonsense. Bro, my dad, yeah. My dad will come up to me. It's like the same scams every single time. He goes, I got this email. Saying if I send them some details, they can uh, get me ten thousand pound compensation. Compensation for what? They said I'm entitled to compensation, but for what? <laughs> no, yeah, no reading in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think you can't really say that on. I think that's that's just the older generation. Yeah, because they're not they didn't grow up with it. Whereas we're a bit more savvy with it, and the generation coming up, if we can integrate more quote unquote critical media literacy into the education system. I think it will help things like comedy as a byproduct. Yeah. Because it will give people the tools to identify what's actually problematic and what's just humor. Yeah. You know, and the, the distinction on what actually, if we can give people a more precise idea on what's actually dangerous content mm. and what is just satirical content and the fundamental differences, then we're onto a winner. Yeah. We shouldn't lose humor in society. Humor has a lot of value in communication. Yeah, man. You, you can't, like, like, for those that, you know, well, I'm just going to reiterate what you're saying there. For, for those that know me or know me a bit, know that I'm, a, I'm an idiot most of the time. And the reason is because, you know, what you said, humor is a big part of, like, me going through life. I don't think I could sit there and be serious. I, I did it for a bit. It wasn't fun. For some fun, yeah. like you need to be able to have a laugh and laugh at yourself and laugh at other people. I think that's the other biggest thing. People are scared about people laughing at them. If that makes sense. What I've noticed with comedy shows, you know, people, people you might hear this instead. Comedians don't sit the front row. There's that because yeah. there's the fear of being picked on. I would love it. 
it's fun. But there's also comedians that I don't want to open because generally speaking, the first couple comedians have to teach the audience that it's okay to laugh. Yeah. And get them used to it. Yeah. Comedians can sometimes, I think, take for granted what a wild environment a comedy club actually is because we're in them all day, every day. Yeah. Right? So we're numb to it. Whereas if you don't go to many comedy shows, you're sat in a comedy club. It's a unique experience, right? Like how often do you go to comedy clubs? Not that often. I've been to a few. Yeah. Like when you sit down, it's a unique experience. You are anticipating someone to come on stage and say wild shit, right? Yeah. And eventually, sometimes at the start of the show, there's a bit of tenseness in the audience because they don't know what's okay to laugh at. Especially white people, bro. White people are terrified to laugh. Yeah. Like for example, if I do a joke, yeah, um, about my parents beating me, the brown people are the first to laugh, <laughs> and then the white people are just waiting for the brown people to laugh first. So they can just so so they can is this okay is this okay okay it's okay ha 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 yeah it is funny thank you because they don't know they're scared yeah. they're terrified whereas if you're from that background and you can relate to it so yeah like yeah hundred percent hundred percent because the because of the internet they've been kind of beaten into the corner into submission yeah that's bad that's bad that's bad and yeah some things are bad but we're in a comedy club. We're here to... We can have an off. That's we're here to embrace our differences. I know this sounds like a cliche, but honestly, when it's done correctly, to be able to chat shit about our own backgrounds and the differences between our backgrounds, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Especially if done correctly. Like it. Um, a couple more questions. I want to wrap up because I want to watch the second half of the Champions League semi-final. Um, <laughs> writing jokes. How do you do it? So my process, I don't really sit down and go, okay, now I'm going to write a joke. Either something will come to me, hmm. or like just randomly, I'll say, think of something, see something, like, oh, there's a joke there. Or, in through funny conversations, I'll be chatting to friends and stuff, and then someone will say something about, oh, there's a bit in that, and then I'll turn it into a bit. Yeah. And it's the, it's about having the ability to turn something that will work on stage that you've heard in your actual life. So how do I turn this one story into something that will work, that's transferable to the stage? Yeah. So that's generally how I write. But then, okay, my question to that is when you do things like that, so how do you know it's going to go off? Like, how do you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to work? So for example, you could say that you could be funny to you, right? Yeah. But you could tell me and I could sit here with a dead face. Look. You never know for sure, but the longer you've been doing, the longer you do stand up, the better you get at judging things. Mm. And the quicker you get at working things into workable material. So material, 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 right? So let's say you and I were having a conversation, you say something, I'm like, oh, there's, a, there's, 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 an, there's something at the core of that that's humorous. Yeah. The more you do stand up, the better, the more skilled you get at working out how to turn that into a bit on stage. Yeah. But you never know for sure. You never know. And you want to try in the right rooms. Sometimes you're going to lose faith in a bit because you tried it in a room with two people and a dog, right? And obviously no one's laughed because yeah. of the rooms. And then it's easy, it's easy to get disheartened. Sometimes some bits take ages to really get right. So have you, let's say for example, have you ever done a joke where it's not gone off, but then you tried it again and again and it's gone and then re and realize after, oh shit, no, it does work. Yeah. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of times. Yeah. Initial times about refining. Yeah, you do get an idea. Sometimes I sometimes I'll write something and I'll be like, okay, this is funny, but it's not going to be funny in my voice. Mm. I've written this for someone else. Yeah, 
I find it actually mad that you can tell that from writing a joke. Yeah, like this is better in someone else's voice. I'm actually, I've, one thing I'm, one skill I do have is I'm quite good at writing in other people's voices. So like I've I've written jokes for other comedians before. Yeah. And I'm, I've got a, a good ability of identifying someone's comedic style and writing for it. Yeah. So in their cadence. Yeah. Has it been used? Yeah, yeah, yeah loads of times. Anyone? Television. Has it? Can't say. You know not. Yeah, no. Can't at least one name. No, no, no. Job one. No, can't. Why? Can't, because I promised them I wouldn't. Hey, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and I'm happy not to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Fine, take pride in that. I take pride in Yeah, that is something. That's, something. Yeah. that's another achievement. It's good. 100%. Yeah. All right, cool. To wrap this up, yeah, last one. Because you've, I've seen from your One Minute Smoke show and, you know, that you've you've got two comedians on there that you've, not say travel with, but that you've become good friends with and I would say you've mentored them. Is that the right word to use? Who are you referring to? Fahan. Oh, good old Fahan. Good old, yeah, shout out Fahan, the day it was like. Yeah. Who you do the... Uh, I didn't say mentor because we were at the same level of comedy. Yeah. I just happened to be the judge that day. We okay. came up together. Okay, so you yeah. come up together. Okay, yeah, cool. Anyone out there starting off, um, you know, give us a bit of advice for them. You're going to be shit. Yeah. It's okay to be shit. Yeah. If it's truly meant for you, you will carry on and you will get better. Okay. But accept that you're going to be shit. Okay. And have a little bit of ego and bite about you and competitiveness to get better. But be honest with yourself and don't think you're something that you're not. Okay. Like if you're, if something's shit and it's not working, don't go and blame the audience and someone's dog and your girlfriend and your, your mum because she put too many fucking peas on your plate that day and gave you the shits before the show. Indeed. Right. The joke is shit. The joke is shit. Make it better. Okay. And enjoy it. All right. And don't be a prick about it. And respect your parents. Cool. Respect your parents. Always end with that. I like that. Yeah. It's a good Um. So basically, carry on, don't stop, but don't guess yourself out. Go yourself up, go yourself up, yeah? yeah. Just fuck him. You're good. <laughs>